0: A podcast one production. Yeah! Hey, I'm sports journalist Sam Squires. Welcome to On Her Game. My earliest memory of the Australian rugby sevens team was watching this powerful, super strong, and incredibly fast winger tearing up her opposition. Her name is Elia Green. I published an article about her in 2014 before she represented Australia at the 2016 Rio Olympics, and she said in that article, we do everything the guys do. We're at the top of our game. Why wouldn't you want to watch us? Well, people are certainly watching now, and it's been incredible to watch not only the rise of the women's game but of Elia herself. What first struck me about Elia is her physical strength, her stature, her muscles, her power... So it kind of makes sense that she was pumping weights as a 12-year-old every night in her bedroom to build up her muscles, just like her sporting heroes. But it's her inner strength off the field that makes her even more remarkable. She's dealt with a lot, fitting in, bullying, and the heartbreaking loss of both her parents. Elia had me in tears as she talked about her mother, and I kept thinking, if my daughter ever talks about me the way Elia talks about her mum, then I'll know that I've done an incredible job. As a mother,
1: I had a giant afro. I had this really big, crazy hair, mm-hmm. and um, which used to drive my mum wild because she had to brush it. Mm. And um, you know, my mum is a, a Polish Polish lady, mm-hmm. and um, so she's not, you know, hasn't grown up with uh, Fijian hair, so. It's, you know her <laughs> learning to brush it and maintain my hair wasn't the easiest task either. Mm-hmm. so I had just this wild afro the kids used to call me Macy Gray in kindergarten. I was um really different. I was maybe one of the only brown kids in my school. like mm-hmm. I, I grew up on the Central coast, my brother and I, and um yeah where there was it wasn't very multicultural, so mm. um felt like I really stood out with my my big hair as well so um yeah, I was very quiet, very shy, mm. and I barely spoke a word. Because you were
0: born in Fiji, yeah, and then adopted from with by your parents um, when you were two, is that right?
1: Oh no, I was adopted from the hospital, so I yep. was adopted from birth, and then uh, my parents moved to Australia in nineteen ninety five, ninety six. When you were how old? I was about four, three or four years old. So
0: they lived in Fiji with you. You, you yes. all lived in Fiji
1: yep. when you were born. Yeah, we lived in a beautiful place called Pacific Harbour and um, my parents fell in love with it. So they um, they also wanted us to live there so we wouldn't forget the culture too quickly mm-hmm. and, you know, we were raised in that environment as um, as babies. Mm. So when I say we, my brother and I. My brother was adopted before me. Um, his name's Mitch. Fijian is Mithieli. Mm-hmm. And um, we were raised by my English dad, Evan Green, and my Polish-Australian mum, Yolanta Green. Nice. And they are just... The greatest gifts that God ever gave to me—they gave us a life that I could. I'm um, just so grateful for, and I'll I love them forever, and and always honouring them every time I play, even when I wake up in the morning.
0: Yeah, you have your mum's name, don't you, on your um on your wrist as well when you play?
1: Of course, every game I've played in my career, um, she's written on my wrist, and I look up to the skies and I imagine her watching me. Um, you know, she's. She's got the best seats in the crowd, you know, watching from above with my yeah. dad as well. And I always picture my mum and dad sitting on the clouds watching, watching me run out. Aww. Yeah, but I pray, pray to her every time.
0: Very, very special. We're going to talk about your mum a little later in the podcast, but I want to pick up on something that you just said about the diversity on the Central Coast. When you were little, there was not much at all.
1: Yeah, look, Central Coast is a very beautiful place, but I'm not going to lie, I did get bullied quite a lot at school for just being brown, to be honest. Like, kids would be saying, like, you need to wash your skin, you're dirty, you're, you know, the N-word, every word under Mm. the sun. And um, I already was pretty confused because my mum's white, so um, Mm. at this stage, my dad had had passed away when Mm -hmm. we moved to Australia. So my mum was um, just ra- raising us on her own and I still didn't see any difference in our skin colour. Mm. You know, I, obviously she had this beautiful fair white skin and, I, and my brother and I had the brown skin, but I never saw the difference. So when I started going to school, um, the kids were like, why are you, why are you brown and your mum's white or why are you black and your mum's white? I was like, I have no idea. I don't know. Mm. I wish I could tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't see I anything. I know. Like, Didn't I, I'd see look at, I was really confused for a long time. Yeah. I know my mum was very nervous to tell us mm. that we were adopted. And um, finally one day she just sat us down and she read us a book about adoption mm-hmm. and it was like a, a picture book and it was a very simple way of saying like, so this is you and this is me. And um, basically she, she said it in the most simplified but beautiful way mm. out from this children's book. Mm. And... Um, yeah, we didn't even really care. we were just like, "Cool, mom. Like, it's great. Like, oh, right. like it wasn't like an emotional thing. Like, she was. Yeah. I think she was emotional, but she was. But more we concerned. never knew any difference. We were like, that's like that's a nice story, but yeah. Like, I don't see it any differently just because we didn't come out of your womb.
0: Yeah, And yeah.
1: um, and then after that, um, she told me to go to school and just tell kids that, um, I just ate way too much chocolate during pregnancy. And <laughs> my pregnancy. And here's the product. <laughs>
0: Because oh, I was going to ask what your mum's message was to you about dealing with with bullying. She obviously gave you a oh, lot. She, of had comebacks.
1: <laughs> she had many. She had many. Yeah, my mum was pretty uh, strongly spoken kind of woman. You know, mm. she was very. Um, yeah, she was just incredible. And whenever I'd come home really upset about being bullied or something, she'd she'd make me a list of comebacks. And then she also had these um, lunch bags for us and. Mm-hmm. My brother was actually really popular. He said so he didn't have an issue. But for me... Um, Did he get bullied? No. He no. was cool kid. He was very cool. You're cool, Elia. You're very cool. very cool. He was very cool. But I was not, not cool. Anyway, so she gave me this um, brown paper bag and she bought them from a special shop because they said pleasantly brown on them and it was a brown paper bag. She Aww. put my sandwich in it and she used to write me a little love letters in it and, and on my lunch bag.
0: Oh, cute! And then,
1: so it said pleasantly brown. So she said, "When the next time someone calls you the N word or black or anything, you just turn around and tell them, you know what? She's like, I'm pleasantly brown actually. Yeah. And that worked? It did. I've yeah. never forgotten it. And I've never forgotten was those bags. Was there a bags.
0: time when things changed for you when um, you weren't getting Bullied anymore, or it
1: wasn't affecting you
0: anymore, or did when it I got always sport. affect
1: you? When kids could see that I w- could run fast, and I was, you know, I wanted to be like the fastest in school or in my age group. Like mm. uh, I was became really competitive and good at sports. So mm. yeah, and then that's when I started to get friends.
0: Tell us about <laughs> the sport because you found yeah. running before you found
1: rugby. When did okay. you just? Dis- Probably it. running away from my mom because I was in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> That'll do it. <laughs> but then um, I just realised I, I loved running when I did my first ever athletics carnival in That's primary cool. school mm-hmm. and my mom came to watch. And the thing was is that I always wanted to impress her. Like it, whatever I did, I had to re- outdo my brother and I had to impress her. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so when she was in the crowd watching... I couldn't even care where I was running or what I was running. It just as long as she was watching me. I think I was even mouthing to her on the side like, are you watching me? Like that she could read my lips like, are you watching me? She was like, yes, look straight ahead. Don't look at me. And like the whole what, so race. Was when you were running a race? Yeah, still in the 100 metres. So I would be running and like I'd be waving at her mid-race <laughs> and making sure she's watching me the whole every second of the race. Oh, so um, she always remembers that. And laughs about it because she's like, Ellie, you need to look straight ahead. You can't be looking (laughs) at me. But I'm like, no, I need to check you're not on your phone or you're not having a chat with the other mums. You need to be watching me. Right. Yeah. So that was where I found my inspiration. And then I just started winning. Like I started winning the events as like when I was young. So mum put me in the little athletics um, in a club in Mm -hmm. Gosford. And then my inspiration there was the Happy Meals. So um, if you won an <laughs> event, you got a Happy Meal voucher. <laughs> so I, it came from not just impressing my mum, but getting like six Happy Meals right. on a Friday night.
0: <laughs> so that's kind of where it started. Right. How long then before, like you represented Australia at a pretty early age, like you were good straight off the bat, obviously naturally gifted with the motivation of your mum and Happy Meals. But how
1: long before you were representing Australia? Um, so my first my first um, competition representing Australia was at the World School Games, which was my first international meet um, in Qatar. And that was a massive deal for myself and my mum mm-hmm. because to qualify for that for me was massive. And then to run an international meet for the first time was insane as well. Mm. How but old were you? 17, mm-hmm. I think. And um, I ended up making the final in 100 metres but came third and um, my mum was you know uh, disappointed in me because she knew I could have not disappointed in me at, at, at the performance because I think she knew I could have done better and mm. I knew I could have done better and she was always quite tough for me because uh, she thought I could could Lose focus easily, which she was completely right. Mm-hmm. And um, but she just wanted me to be the best in whatever I did, and she was such a driver in that. Mm. She got me to write up goals in my bedroom all the time, so my all my walls had all the times I wanted to get, all the distances I wanted to make. Wow. From what um, kind of
0: age are we talking here?
1: This started in maybe year four or five.
0: Wow, cool.
1: Primary school, yeah, and then all the way through high school as well. But um, yeah, I was obsessed. And then she said, um, what, do you want to, what do you want to be? What's the biggest goal? Mm-hmm. What do you see yourself as? And I said, well, I, want, I want to be the greatest athlete that I can be. I want mm-hmm. to be the greatest athlete in the world potentially one day. She said, then write it down and put it on the back of your door. And so every day mm-hmm. when you wake up, it's what you're going to look at. Yep. And when you said greatest athlete, you were thinking Olympic sprinting, that was your – what uh, were you not, thinking? Uh, probably sprinting yeah. in, as what I was thinking. But I think in my mind I was thinking just the strongest version of, of myself I mm-hmm. could be on a world stage. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a particular, because I did you know, the fastest or the, I just wanted to be the greatest athlete I could be in mm-hmm. the world. And, um, yeah, my mum really ingrained it in my mind. You know, she bought me every Olympic book, um, DVD poster that she could find. Wow. And then also someone else who was a really big mm-hmm. Olympic inspiration was that, um, my godfather family friend was Peter Brock. He was, um, Australian, yeah, obviously. Racing car driver. Yeah, legend. legend yeah. Rocky, Yes, wow. that's right. Yeah, oh. so, and he, because um, my dad was a racer as well, so my dad was a rally driver. So they yes. were, yeah, so my dad used to um, navigate for him as well. Wow. And I suppose they worked together yeah. and a few things. But um, spent a lot of time on the farm with, with the Brocks and he, <laughs> he went to the Sydney Olympics and he gave me the whole in the olympic uniform because he was one of the wow. mentors for the swimming team
0: oh wow and so he
1: said ellie i want to come back he's like you'll get the whole olympic uniform or you, so you can start um dreaming because you're going to get your own one day but this is going to be a first and i'll wow. never forget that because i was 10 years old and he said um and he said i promise you i'll be there with you when you go to your first olympics oh yeah so he was a also a big driver um towards the olympics and my mum, for my tenth birthday, arranged for me to meet um, meet up with Kathy Freeman, and wow. she wrote me. A, she made me this massive poster. How did she do that? My mum works miracles. I have no <laughs> idea. My mum actually contacted her manager and said, "It's my baby's birthday, and she's an athlete, and <laughs> yeah, and she arranged for me to meet up with her and and also go to her meet. Wow. So um, yeah, my mum was, you know. Pretty special kind of woman. Mm. Like she, she's definitely the reason why I've really gotten gotten oh, you're this far. Green.
0: And you met up with Kathy Freeman when you were ten. Yeah. Wow. And was
1: I was so shy though. I was so nervous and I was so shy. I Can't imagine you being shy. I just can't. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I swear, like, if anyone could see that the, the Elia I was when I was ten years old, it was a mute Elia. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and what did Kathy say to you when you when you met up when you were ten?
1: I can't really remember. She was asking me about. You know, what I want to do, what I want to be, mm. why I love running. And the thing is, she is not that talkative either. Like, yeah. she's very, she's kind of quite quietly spoken. Mm-hmm. So between her and I, there wasn't a lot of conversation <laughs> going on because I'm so shy <laughs> or was so shy. So uh, all I can just remember is just staring at her in awe, thinking like, is, is this even real life? Yeah. Am I dreaming? Because she was Cause, one of
0: your role models growing up. For sure. Yeah.
1: So along with all my times on my wall, I also had the pictures of the athletes I wanted to look like. And I had mm. Kathy Freeman was definitely on there. Mm-hmm. But an athlete that I was completely obsessed with was um Carmelita Jetta. Yeah. Which yeah. is one yeah, the fastest woman in the world and US she, Sprinter. Yeah, yeah. And her body is just phenomenal. She had these, you know, she's had these massive quads and six pack big biceps and like a, just a beautiful face. So her whole look was just so yeah so amazing to see. So I used to watch her pictures while I'm doing sit-ups, (laughs) push-ups. My mum bought me like my my dumbbell set like between 10 and 15. Wow. My mum bought me my weights so I could do bicep curls and like I really just was so obsessed with training.
0: So when you were 10 to 15, you were were already like you wanted muscles. You already identified that that was the body shape that that you... Wow. Yeah. yeah. I was always muscly as a kid. I remember someone saying, You can't turn a Greyhound, you can't turn a German Shepherd into a Greyhound and being disappointed that I was the German Shepherd, not the Greyhound. And it's only later in life I'm like, Muscles are awesome. Uh-huh. But you loved muscles and that body oh, image. Yeah.
1: yeah. I love, I really loved, um, and Carmelita. I wanted to, I knew I wanted to look like Carmelita. <laughs> yeah. Like, and I even spoke to her for the first time after the Olympics. I messaged her, social manager said, Thanks for inspiring me from when I was in kindergarten. Wow. And she messaged me back and I couldn't believe it because, like, she's, she is the one I wanted to look like from a very young age. I think it
0: was when you were 16. You were second fastest in the world. What then made you... For my age group. For your age group. Why not stay the course and follow that Olympic dream and try to be the fastest in the world, try to be like Carmelita Jeter. try to be like Cathy Freeman? Why not stay that course with, with sprinting?
1: It was just so random that rugby came along, to be honest. And I had no confidence in myself that I would actually make it in rugby. It was a very random thing for me. Like, I went to the trials and I had no expectation. I didn't know the rules, nothing. I really just went to be there for my friend who was trying out. Mm. Like, there was no intentions of me actually going through with it. So then when um, I got a letter saying they were interested in me, I was very shocked and very, very, very shocked and... um my mum said, well, you have nothing to lose, Bob. You may as well go try it. And if it doesn't work out, you know that you have you have your greatest dream in mm. athletics. So she said, like, it's just, just go to Canberra for the trial games mm-hmm. and, um, you know, just have fun. And then come back to track and field, like come back yeah. to training. And uh, she was very unsure as well. And I had... No, Because it was so no new, idea. we weren't
0: exposed to women playing rugby that much back then no. either, sevens was a That's new right.
1: concept as well. So yeah, I wasn't expecting to get picked and then literally from that trial in Melbourne to the trial in Canberra, it was three months until I debuted for Australia in America, so <laughs> it was like... <laughs> and you didn't know the rules and when you went to the trials? No, I didn't know, I barely, I think I'd ever watched one rugby game or something like wow. before that. Yeah. Um. You had a crash course. aside from watching my brother play, but like watching an international game or anything mm. but yeah i didn't I honestly didn't have any like real interest in rugby at all mm.
0: so you didn't know how to play the game, you really weren't down on the rules you're only there to support a friend why don't take offense,
1: but why do they choose Elia Green? Why did you get the call I, up? <laughs> well, I still couldn't answer that for you now, but. <laughs> I I got I did get very lucky to be honest. I was in the right place at the right time. You know, I really wasn't going to go to this trial, but the thing is, we were running on Fiji time. So my friend I didn't mention is she's Fijian too, and Fijian time is Fiji time is like forty minutes late. So we missed the whole introduction. The whole like did yeah they, they did a whole introduction about rugby sevens and there was like quite a lot of girls in the room and we arrived late. They weren't doing anything too difficult. They were doing passing drills. They are doing jump jump tests and then they were doing a sprint test. So I, that was the only thing I got excited for because I was like, yeah, cool, you can run. Like, I want to <laughs> see how I go against these footy Could you jump? Um, Yeah, and I, I used to do triple jump and long jump. So I, like, I like the athletic test, like the testing. Yeah. And um, so, um, yeah, I, I guess they literally just picked me from that because I certainly didn't have anything else to offer at the trial <laughs> <laughs> besides maybe a nice smile. <laughs> I knew I was out of my depth being there at, my, at that first tournament. Mm. I, I debuted in H- Texas, Houston. And um, I knew I was out of my depth being there because I still didn't know the rules very well. I didn't understand the game. You know, I was playing amongst this these amazing rugby players that were very experienced. You know, they were mm. a lot older than me. And um, all I could do was run, so mm. I said to Mum, "Like Mum, I don't think I deserve to be here. Like I, I just don't think I'm ready. Mm. But they think I am." And Mum said, "You know what, bub? When you just when you get that ball, you just run as fast as you can and don't look back." She always says, "Imagine um, <laughs> there's like a big scary dog chasing you or something, and you <laughs> have to get you have to get to me because I'm waiting for you at the trial line." Right. So she'd she'd have all these analogies where she'd say. Um, you know, to imagine me at the try line or something, mm. she knows that'll make me run. So,
0: in that three months, what was your crash course in rugby rules and getting to know the game? What was that like? How did say you do a lot it? To me,
1: to be honest, because the, the they coach said, at the time knew that I had no idea what I was doing all the try <laughs> Like, He knew that I didn't know a lot, and um, so he said, "He said all we want you to do is get the ball in your hands and run." That was the like, that was what they'd just say to me. So, you know, if I if I didn't get tackle, that was great. And if Mm. I did, you know, I was making a lot of mistakes, like getting tackled out or, Mm. you know, I I, I just didn't really understand the game Mm. that well in the beginning, obviously. So definitely, you know, have had to learn a lot about this game because there's so many different components to know about in sevens. Yeah. Did you go
0: well in that Houston, Texas um, tournament?
1: I can't really. I think we did all right, but we weren't really winning any tournaments at this stage. Like. New Zealand was winning most of them, but we weren't right up there. I think we were around fifth, sixth kind of yeah. ranking. But, um, yeah, I don't, I don't really remember. Or I do remember scoring my first try against New Zealand, though. Yeah, right. That was your first and, one ha- against New Zealand. And doing a ridiculous try celebration, which I've never lived down since, to the girls that were what playing at that time. Oh, I had the biggest carry-on because I was so excited. <laughs> and, like, it was my first ever international try, and I think I, like... <laughs> jumped in the air, maybe even threw the ball in the air. Like I had the biggest carry-on and then I got told if I ever do that again, I'm getting taken off straight away. (laughs) So uh, I didn't stop hearing about it for quite a while.
0: (laughs) I bet they still bring it up. Um, Were your teammates understanding? How were your teammates reacting to this girl who's just come and just knows how to catch the ball and run?
1: I think they wanted to kill me, to be honest. (laughs) It was just very competitive, obviously, for positions. And, Mm. you know, I was obviously the new kid on the block, so... Nobody likes it losing a position to the new kid, and it always becomes a bit more competitive in mm. that kind of environment. Mm. So when it came to contact and stuff, you know, I think they really wanted to prove a point to me. Like, listen here, mm. kid, if you wanna if you wanna play with the big girls, then you have to t- you have to be able to, to take a hit. Mm. So uh, re- they really roughed me up quite early <laughs> at that stage, <laughs> and it was a completely different team as it is now, and they were very um, they were extremely physical, and they they'll pretty brutal mm. kind of girls from 15s background as well. Yeah. So yeah. they taught me taught me pretty quick. Yeah. Taught me a lesson.
0: I published an article on my website, Sportet, way back in 2014 on you. And in that you said, you were quoted, you said, we're number one in the world this season, yet nobody seems to know about it. Take me back to those early days in the rugby program before the Rio Olympics when people didn't know much about rugby sevens and what they thought about women's rugby.
1: Yeah, it was a very different time. And I guess this was at a stage where we were starting to to do well in the game. We were starting to excel. And yeah, we definitely weren't getting any kind of, I guess, exposure mm. to it. And, um, you know, our parents were really confused about that. Mm. And also the girls as well we were just like, this is an amazing mm. game. And like globally, it's, It's so much bigger in in other countries, but in in our country, like, they're just Mm. not seeing it. Mm. But then if we were going to, like, we played in the London Sevens and there was, you know, it was pretty exciting over there. We played in Hong Kong and obviously obviously that's massive. Mm. But then if we were to come back to Australia, they wouldn't really know what Mm. we do. So that was was just a little bit upsetting, I guess, at the time to know that, um, we hadn't quite made it yet, so we, mm. you know, having the Rio Olympics coming up soon, was massive motivation for that too. Mm. Like, you know, we can create serious legacy for this game mm. and for for our sport. So that was definitely, you know, something that we had in the back of our back of our minds as well mm. to leave a legacy for this game.
0: Were there misconceptions about what women's rugby was like that you received from from the public or from definitely. the media? What yeah. was that like?
1: Uh, well, you know, I've been asked some pretty interesting questions about, um, women playing rugby, you know, they say like, oh, so is it the same rules as the men? And I was like, <laughs> yep, same game. She's like, oh, so is it, is you tackle as well? And I was like, yeah, with fully, full contact. And like, oh, but is it the same, uh, intensity? And I was like, yeah, that's definitely the same intensity. But the one that astonishes me the most is like, oh, do you actually tackle? Mm. I'm like, yeah, we tackle mate. We go hard. Yep. But um yeah, it's definitely come a long way. It's definitely come a very long way and you know to to even on the financial side of things to say that, you know, we're one of the few sports in in Australia that's actually on an even ground in mm-hmm. terms of men and women getting paid the same mm-hmm. when you sign up as a sevens player. Yeah. You know, something to be proud of for our sport.
0: The article also said that you said there is renewed hope that it won't be long before women's rugby sevens garners the attention that it's been craving so long for so long with the the Rio Olympics and there was definitely it almost changed overnight. Isn't that crazy to
1: hear from
0: Oh, I loved going that. back on that old <laughs> article. I really, really loved it because I've loved watching the development of the, the the rugby sevens game, but in particular women's rugby. That gold medal match was just. Unbelievable! Can you please, for me, describe that moment the whistle has blown and you guys realise that you have won gold?
1: Yeah, it was. It seems like such a blur to be honest. Even when I, I do think about it, like I try to reflect on that amazing, that incredible moment um, that we shared together. And all I can remember is that I don't look at the scoreboard at the whole game. Even at halftime, I don't look at the scoreboard ever. No. Like I, I probably look like very briefly, like to see just for the time. Mm. But I don't like to look at the score because it, I get a bit too stressed sometimes. Mm. And um, yeah, so I, I really didn't know what the score was at the end of the game. So when the whistle blew, I had to look up and then I saw, oh my God, we just won the game. <laughs> we just won Olympic gold. Like, and the, but yeah, it wasn't like a, you know, like one minute to go until we win. It was like a the full-time whistle blew and then I had to check if we had won or not and I was like, Oh my gosh, it was a real shock of a moment to see the scoreboard. I kinda of, I just looked at my teammates and um they were running towards each other and you know, they oh they jumped on top of me on the ground. So I had three of them um suffocating me on the ground and then and then yeah, and then we all linked arms and ran towards our parents. And all I can remember is just staring at my mum and I was looking for the lady with the giant yellow um Sombrero hat. And, <laughs> where is she? Surely, but there was a, there was such a huge crowd of green and yellow because even Brazilians look like they're going for Australia. Yeah. So there was green and yellow everywhere. But then our family section was like it was it was very obvious because they had you know all our signs and numbers and everything. And yeah, well, that was probably the the best part jumping mm. over the barrier to into my mum's arms. And um yeah, she was just too happy you know <laughs> yeah yeah she is just um so so happy she had a tear in her eye and we just looked at each other and um she said I'm so proud of you Bob. I love you so much Aww. and she said you've worked so hard and we finally did it and it was it is a we because I, I knew that was always a dream that we were mm-hmm. trying to achieve together
0: mm. how did life change for Elia Green from that whistle onwards after the Rio Olympics when you guys won gold?
1: When we got off that plane, it was incredible. So it was a plane only for the athletes, mm-hmm. you know, and and um, when we stepped off the plane, like, it was like a seriously special moment. Like, <laughs> I couldn't believe it because I, I wasn't expecting I didn't know my mom was going to be there, to be honest, and I didn't know my brother was going to be there and my partner. Mm. At the time, it was it was really really special, and and I can just remember that day. Um, the Channel Seven was interviewing all the parents and stuff, and I can just remember my mom speaking so proudly, um, you know about about everything and you know how far we've come and you know just the goals we had achieved together. And just seeing mm. her face, the way she talked about me, was actually just filled my heart. Mm. And, um, yeah, I'll never forget that day. And just the amount of support we got from the whole of Australia was incredible. We were in such a bubble in Rio that we didn't quite realise, you know, what was going on back home. Mm. So when we got off that plane, you know, it was very obvious that, like, wow, we've really done our country proud and mm. it's, this is um, this is quite a special moment in history to remember.
0: It was almost just like overnight people's perceptions of the game had changed, hadn't they? Yeah. From what you're describing really. beforehand. Then suddenly everyone's like, "Women's rugby, how good's this?" I'm like, I we've been trying to say this.
1: Yeah, I know, <laughs> and it was it was just insane. Like, coming back and, you know, seeing the the amount of girls that want to play rugby sevens now, mm. like participation rates, mm. and it was just increased dramatically, and um, it was talked about so much more often. And you know, we we're getting we we're getting more coverage. You know, you could then see our games on on Fox Sports and. You know, it was just a massive change and it was, um, yeah, it was a proud moment to be a part of, to be honest.
0: I want to, you talked about your mum and, and seeing her afterwards and then seeing her in the hangout uh, when you arrived back in Australia. Let's talk about your mum. Take me back to the day when she told you that she had cancer.
1: Um, So she was sick for a long time, mm-hmm. yeah. She first got cancer when I was about 10 years old in primary school. So I used to look after her. Um, when I was in primary school and spend time at the hospital with her and, and then yeah, her cancer came back, um, later on twice. So then she got, she got cancer again when I was 18 and then recovered from that. And then this, um, this last, this last time was, yeah, her final battle with cancer, which was a year and a half ago. Um, and then she lost her battle there to brain cancer.
0: The first cancer started out as which? Breast cancer. Breast cancer. Yeah. And then? And then lung cancer and then brain cancer. When she told you that she had brain cancer, did you think she'll get through this or did you think, okay, this is serious, more serious than the other two
1: cancers? Or did you not think about that? Um, you know, it was really hard to understand it all because... She never really showed any kind of weakness sign to me ever. She never showed me she was scared, and she never showed me that she was worried about any of it. And these were serious things, but she never seemed to look all that concerned about it because she didn't want to worry me, and she didn't want to worry my brother. But she always made th- made these, um, you know, made this really tough news to tell us. She made it sound very much not of a big deal. <laughs> mm, it seems to so. say. Right to the end, she
0: was always trying to protect you and your brother.
1: Definitely, yeah. Um, she just never wanted it to distract me in my career and everything. And you know, she started to get sick. She told i, I found out that she was gonna. She was very unwell when I at the Commonwealth Games. That was the first time, and she couldn't come to my Jersey presentation, and she couldn't travel on a plane anymore. So that was a real turning point I, for both of us when mm. I realized she couldn't catch a plane. And, um, you know, she was so upset that she couldn't make it to the presentation because she was in hospital, she was getting treatment. That was pretty hard to take, but I was more concerned about her. You know, nothing mm. nothing is more important than her. Mm. So I said, you know, mum, I can put rugby on hold and just you and I can be together. And she said, no, she's like, I'll I will get more sick if you do that, bub. So rugby was so much more than a game to us and to, or to me. So mm. when I say us, my mum and I. Yeah because it it gave her strength. She couldn't wait to watch, um, mm. watch our games and she would really live for it. You know, she mm. was, she was the number, my number one cheerleader and, um, she just loved watching it. You know, she got all of the doctors and nurses in the hospital to watch me and, um, and the girls and, um, she went into palliative care when I played in the world cup that was in San Francisco, the last rugby sevens world cup. And, um. Yeah, that was probably like the hardest the hardest tournament I ever had to play in because I had to leave my mum, uh, knowing that she only had, you know, not long to live, but she pretty much forced me to go. She did? Yeah. And you mm. thought about not going? Of course. Yeah. 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 Like, um, yeah, I, I didn't think I was meant to go, but, you know, her word... Is is stronger than mine. So she says to go. I I have to go. She's the queen. She's the woman. <laughs> yeah. She's the boss lady. <laughs> um. So yeah. She she made me go. But then um, she was very excited to see me when I got back. Yeah. yeah. bet You were too.
0: Take me back to that day where you said your final goodbye to your mum.
1: Um. Yeah. It was the worst day of my life. It was horrible. It was really. It was very scary. Um. It was just me and her. Sorry, let me just rephrase that. She would hate that. It was just her and I, <laughs> and she's she, she's very big on English grammar. Yeah, <laughs> she's she's an educated woman. <laughs> so um yeah, it was just mum and I, and um and that's how she wanted it to be. Her and I had had the kind of connection that um is unbreakable. We were completely inseparable, mm. and when I say that, like it was in every way, she's is, she is my soulmate. You know, the literally the love of my life. Spoke on the phone four times a day, minimum. I mm. uh, Facetimed every day. Um, she'd sing to me to sleep. Like we were beyond mother and daughter. She was just like my my angel that God had had granted me with from birth. So this was how she was going to leave leave the world, which was. Um, in my arms together, holding hands, just her and I. And um, yeah, it was, it was a very, very scary, scary moment. But at the same time, I wouldn't have picked it to be any other way because it was her and I. And um, I'll never, f- never forget that or the love that she showed me and showed me and, and gave me. I've, I've never felt a love like that before and I never will. That's so beautiful.
0: Did you have time to process it? Like,
1: in that she would always try to protect
0: you and your brother, did you get time to process and to understand that this was going to happen or did it kind of in a way when you were there in that final goodbye, you're like, okay, this is it? Did you get time to realise that that was what it was going to be like?
1: No, I had no idea that what it was going to be like. And to be honest, I never thought the day would come because I just thought mum was the strongest woman I I, I ever knew. And the bravest and the toughest and the strongest. So um I thought this woman was invincible to be honest. So when it got to the stage, I was like, surely not. This can't be happening. I just didn't expect I just didn't expect it to happen. I mean, you can't no one can expect this to happen. But my heart just completely sank to the ground when it happened. And yeah, it's taken a long time to you know, to adjust to normal life again after that. Mm. It was really, really hard was horribly depressed for a long time
0: How did you find that strength and that motivation to continue on with your sporting career after that then or how long did well, it take? did you take some time off the game did you
1: I was going to quit for sure yeah i was I couldn't go back to training because it was too hard you know i was I was really 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 depressed and then my the only reason why i um you know, went back is because my brother had this chat with me, and I'll never forget it, and he said, If you don't you know continue to play because of this, mm-hmm. he said,' mum would be so disappointed, mm-hmm. she would be so disappointed that you wouldn't do that if you would do that, so um, you know, when he said that, you know it really hit me hard because I was like, oh, I would, the last thing I'd ever want to do is to disappoint her mm-hmm. so um, you know I I thought about it for a while. I took I took some time off training, obviously. And then when I built up the courage to go back to training again, my teammates were just like the greatest, you know, the greatest gift to me that I, you know, I'll never forget when I had that first day back at training. And, you know, they they didn't bring it up at all and, mm. or anything. They just, you know, they were just so excited to see me back at training. And yeah. They knew that I couldn't talk about it for ages. And the fact that I'm even telling talking about it right now with you is really um a sign that I've, you know, I've found strength even within myself because this isn't a normal conversation for me mm, at all. It's not. No, and I don't usually talk about it, but it's something that, um, you know, I'm hoping that can help other kids that are grieving over a lost parent, or other kids that, not just kids, other people that are suffering from depression or, mm. or anything. Because I'm hoping that my story can one day, you know, help someone else. Because I know I came out of a deep dark hole that I, I didn't, I didn't think I could come out of.
0: Mm. Your teammates, you talk about them rallying around you during that time because you girls, you just, you live together. You've gone through so much together. You've, you're like sisters, aren't you? Like having to be together all the time and be this team. And
1: Yeah, that's right. We spend so much time together and our families are very close as well. You know, they have a group chat, which they're constantly writing on and updating each other. My mum was very active on that group chat and, um, (laughs) you know, they're always saying like, you know, game starts in 10 minutes, they're kicking off, like if anywhere we're overseas, obviously the times are outrageous Mm -hmm. to watch here back home. So they're always, um, you know, communicating through that and um, at the Olympics, you know, they stayed, a lot of them stayed in the same accommodation at this big party house with Mm -hmm. all the parents and, you know, my mum was very close with um, quite a few of the, the girls' parents. So it's definitely a very close connected group of um of families and it just shows how much these girls value family and Mm. their 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 reason for wanting to perform is is for their families and certainly my biggest why in life not just on the rugby field did it bring you and your brother closer together it definitely changed my brother um so my brother and i's relationship um in terms of we don't have a huge family so obviously it's you know obviously losing dad as well, we know we have to to be close. We have to Mm. look after each other. So we do try not to have our arguments, you know, but we have a few tips here and there. But um, at the end of the day, I really just, um, I love him to pieces and, Mm. you know, we have to look after each other, always. Mm. What do you want to show girls, little girls, about being muscly and being sporty? What's your message to young girls? I think my biggest message to young girls is, don't worry about what other people think about you because it's seriously going to limit you. Like don't care what other people think about you. It's called Fopo. You know people say FOMO, fear of missing out. Fopo is fear of people's opinions. And if you worry so much about what people think about you, you're not going to you're not going to take another step forward because that's going to really hold you back. So don't worry about what your friends are doing, don't worry about what other people doing. Don't even worry about the girl in your team is doing. Just worry about yourself or, sorry, not even your team, what in your team, maybe in your job or anything, mm. whatever it is. Just worry about yourself and what you want to do and how far you want to get. And there's, there shouldn't be any limitation in that if, you, um, if you're not concerned about uh, what other people think of you or what you're doing. Mm. Good message.
0: What's next for Elia Green? Is that it for sprinting at Olympics? Is that, that door completely shut now? I wouldn't say I completely shy. It
1: might be just slightly ajar. Yeah, I don't know. I I don't really know what's in the cards in terms of, um, you know, the next sport for me or anything, you know. My next main goal is obviously oh. us winning back-to-back <laughs> gold in Tokyo. But, um, you know, I'll always be a sprinter at heart as well because that's where I started and... You know, I reckon I'll still be doing track and field at the old senior meets when I'm when I'm eighty, <laughs> if I last that long. But you know, it's like I guess fitness and training has definitely become a way of life for me. And it, and it, um, for me, training and being the strongest version of myself physically definitely makes up for, um, you know, the mental side of things for me because I know I can be very down. And feel lonely at times, but I know that when I'm training, it definitely um, assists me with my mental health. So that's always been something something that I use a lot. So I find that you know my coach he works with me very well. I work I try to work with him well. I know I drive him wild as well, <laughs> but um, he knows that um, the best environment for me is when I'm training. Because if I I am too isolated, I get too I get a bit depressed. Mm. And me being in a training environment is definitely good for my mental health.
0: Another good message, if you could go back and talk to your 10-year-old self, what would you tell your 10-year-old, your little Elia Green?
1: I'd tell her to be, to be braver. <laughs> you know, I was, I was so scared of bullies and so shy and so nervous to be around people because of, because of my skin colour and what they thought of me and the way I looked And I'd say to her, you know what? Be brave because you you are a beautiful person, and um, to be brave and be confident. You're very
0: brave and you're very confident, Elliot Green. Thank you so much for coming on on her game. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Amy. On Her Game was presented by me, Sam Squires, and produced in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer, Lindsay Green. Audio producer, Darcy Thompson. Executive producer, Jennifer Goggin. For more episodes, head to podcastoneaustralia.com.au, download the free Podcast One Australia app or search On Her Game podcast.